Yeah, so strap in, it's about to be a crazy Yeah, that's wild. So I get there and I literally have one practice and like my knee swells up. The doctor was like, you will never ever play basketball again. No one couldn't tell me anything. Like I was going to the Premier League. Like that was... That's what you were going to do. That was the goal. That was what was happening. We moved from South Sudan um, and we fled to Kenya first. So Mm -hmm. I left when I was three. So when we say fled, like my family literally walked like through the whole journey. I've been through so much adversity in my life that mm-hmm. like sports adversity wasn't real to me. Two hours later, my agent calls me and he was like, like they've shut you down. The NBA has shut you down. Like you're not allowed to work out for any more teams. Who is your favorite center to go up against and play against in the league? All of them. The smoke is free. Yeah. <laughs> Pumped by Reebok, this is Annalie Maley's Under the Surface. Hello, welcome to Under the Surface, Pumped by Reebok. I'm your host, Annalie Maley, and I'm here with Joe from Melbourne United. Um, Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, for sure. I've seen some clips um, before I came on. Saw the Bryce one. I saw you guys had Junior on here as well. Yeah, we did. We yeah, did. so I kind of did my research, know what I was coming into. I saw you did your research on us too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Before we get started, um, we have a gift for you from Reebok. So here you go. Oh, thank you Hopefully guys so much. We get to see you repping some of that. Do you guys do the tunnel picks? Uh, I'm not a fan, <laughs> but um, <laughs> hey, I'll do it for you guys. No problem. <laughs> yeah. um, what What did today look like for you? What What, what did you get up to today? Um, practice wise mm-hmm. just in, uh, in general what does your life look like today um, on practice days it's normally like a 720-ish get up mm-hmm. um, I'd have, have my breakfast shower come here then we have weights um, watch a video and then we get into practice and then post practice workouts and then yeah that's it for the now day you're here. Yeah. so if you had an off day no you didn't have to be in here at all mm-hmm. what do you do on your off days um, I try to use the off days as much as I can to help my wife with mm-hmm. the kids. So um, she's always with the kids, like when we travel and um, just always at home with the kids. So mm-hmm. when I do get off day, I try to um, kind of alleviate some of that pressure on her so I can watch the kids and let her go roam free and do kind of what she wants roam to do. Roam free. Yeah. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I have two kids. How old? My son is one, about to turn two in March, and my daughter is four, turns five in April. Do they, have they grasped what you do? Like the professional basketball player or not really yet? Yeah, my daughter has, yeah. and my son, like anytime he sees like a black basketball player on TV, yeah. just he just, da-da, da-da. <laughs> I'll be sitting next to him and he's just like, da-da, You're da-da. Like, nah, that ain't me, son. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, not me. So, um... Have they always, do they travel with you when you like move places? Like, or they are centered in Melbourne? That's they're they're like, centered here in Melbourne. Yeah. Is that easier for you guys to have like a home base and then you go off and do your thing and kind of come back, that type of thing? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it ties into my childhood, which we'll probably get into yeah. here in a little bit. But um, stability is like, wasn't like a thing that I had um, a lot growing up. So I knew, I know how important it is after being through it. So it's one thing I wanted for my kids just to, keep them as stable as possible in one place same environment and same friends and stuff yeah i get that i was a kid of a professional basketball player so i get the whole like kind of moving around type of thing it is kind of it does make a difference when you can kind of just stay in the one spot yeah um so on your off days when you are kind of like hanging with your kids doing that what like but what are you doing like what are you kind of what do you take them? What do you do? Um, so there's a new park that they just made over here in um, Beach Road mm-hmm. and they really love it. So we've been going to the park and then there's like uh, some food trucks by the house that have like a playground with like a huge sand pit. Mm-hmm. And um, they we go there, but I try not to go to the sand pit as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, just more work for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. So yeah, we do that. And then um, sometimes we just go like family beach days. Um, mm-hmm. Just try to do as much family stuff as um, possible. When, um, like, you first had your kids, did that change your relationship with basketball? Like, did or was it kind of all the same, if that makes sense? Um, I think I was always very driven mm-hmm. and I was always hardworking. Um, I, I wouldn't say it changed a lot. Um, I think it did – well, I guess, I guess that's a lie, actually. What it changed was not making – the low is really that low, ah, I think, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, when I'm having a bad game or I've had a bad practice or whatever, when I go home, like, my daughter's 
just run, like she just runs to me, she gives me a hug. Regardless. Yeah. So like, even if I want to like kind of pout in it, I have no time. I have to kind of snap out of it yeah. and, uh, you know, go dad mode. So yeah. it's kind of helped me kind of, I guess, manage um, the lows and the highs of the game a lot better. Before, before that, and like, say you did have a low high game, whatever it is, did you always have like a process in place post games to like kind of switch off or that kind of taught you how to do that, I guess? Um, it's kind of taught me it, but before that I was really bad at it. <laughs> yeah. um, I, th- I put so much pressure on myself and like set such high standards that like when I don't yeah. achieve them, I just like, I'm, yeah, I'm not a good person to be around after the <laughs> bad games. But. That's hard. That's a lot of professional athletes actually. It makes us so good at what we do, but also it's really hard to turn off afterwards. Yeah. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to ask you about what you were like as a kid. Like, who was Joe as a young kid and how would people describe you? Uh, Joe as a kid. Um, that's interesting. No, yeah, I think <laughs> I was um, I was very playful. Yeah. Um, I was very social, which is not me now. Um, <laughs> That's and, been, it's been socialized out of you. <laughs> yeah. And then I was big on like um, playing soccer. Really? Yeah. So like I was for sure like no one couldn't tell me anything. Like I was going to the Premier League. Like that was. That's like, what you were going to do. That was the goal. That was what was happening. Um, so yeah, a lot of soccer. And I uh, looked up a lot to my brothers. I have two older brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly my older bro- my oldest brother, Jackson. Like uh, me and him are just like best friends and I uh, looked up to him from a very young age. So I was always trying to kind of copy him or yeah. probably annoyed him as a little yeah. brother just following <laughs> yeah. him around everywhere. That's your job as a younger sibling. Yeah, yeah. So, so like where did you grow up? Like what was your family life growing up? What was like you talk about like being close with your brothers? Like what was that like for you? Touch on your family life. T- tell me about your life as a kid. Okay, so as a kid we moved from South Sudan um, – and we fled to Kenya first. So mm-hmm. I left when I was three. And I think um, a lot of like, so when we say fled, like my family literally walked like through the whole journey of mm-hmm. like going to Kenya and then to Uganda eventually where we ended up staying. So we fled there. And then I I can kind of remember some of it, but not really. But I do remember me and my older brother got lost. Mm-hmm. So then like, like it was kind of like two of us alone and then we had to like they had to come around and like find us and then you know like how old was your older brother at that time well he was well if i was three he is 1988 and i was 94 i'm not good at maths so can you guys tell me that eight he's eight nine eight or nine so you guys got lost by yourselves yeah yeah, and you don't have a lot of memory of that, but then they had to like kind of come back around and get us. But I do remember like that part of it on the journey. I definitely remember being lost. Um, Can you describe like kind of what your surroundings were, or what that felt like, or anything like that? Um, just imagine like um, kind of like super dry trees, mm-hmm. kind of leafless, mm-hmm. and a lot of like clay, kind of gray sand. Yeah, right. Um, that's kind of my vague memory of I, it. I, I get that. So like when you talk about like your family, like who in your family fled, like what, how, like what members of your family do you remember? Like the group of you? It was, it, it was a huge group. Yeah. Like a lot of us, cousins, uncles, you name it. My dad didn't um, come with us. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was part of the war. So he's in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody else, I like, uh, yeah, I remember I met one of my cousins, when I was in college and he was telling me that when we fled, he had me on his shoulders like the whole time, basically. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. And then getting to Uganda, what did that look like for you? Like, do you remember like settling in? Do you remember the process of what it was like? Like, Yeah, I think as kids, it's like, um, I think my parents did a good job of just like letting us be kids. Yeah. So like, you don't really pay too much um, attention to the environment. It's mm-hmm. just it's kind of like what you're in and like you make the best out of it. And yeah. my parents did a good job of that. So like, that's unreal that they were able to do that in that yeah. environment. Yeah. So like my memories of like growing up were like um, going to school and then like just playing soccer on the street, you know, just running around like playing soccer with like a bunch of the street neighbor neighborhoods yeah. or whatever it was. We just played a bunch of sports and I think it was kind of like, uh, outlet in a way yeah yeah for sure um but that's like for, for me that's like all i really remember just like how fun it was just yeah. playing with everybody and hanging out with my brothers and and all that stuff yeah. when did you first pick up a basketball um i got i think year 10 okay year 10 so that was late I, yeah it was yeah it was super late 
year 10 i picked it up but it wasn't like super serious yeah i, I, I said i was gonna start playing yeah were you then, still in uganda at the time no no i was in i was in perth at that oh, time gotcha. i moved so i moved right. to perth when i was uh 2004 okay. i think i was eight about to turn nine yeah or nine about to turn ten whatever the math is mm-hmm. um <laughs> the math yeah. yeah so once i moved there i was still kind of playing soccer a little bit but mm-hmm. um once i got to year 10 i started playing but i wasn't very good or very serious <laughs> you're just tall yeah yeah and then I, I went to my first training session and we ran a bunch of suicides and did push-ups oh god and i, I wasn't very coordinated. why are you still with it man yeah. that would that would have kicked me right out <laughs> yeah so i couldn't run properly yeah and i didn't know how to do push-ups so i was i was doing like like knees on the ground push-ups yeah, yeah. and everybody was kind of laughing at me so i was like yeah i'm not coming back yeah and then i just never went back and the coach had to drive over to my house yeah <laughs> Kind of gave me this inspirational speech to come back. Yeah. Did it? It obviously worked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to backtrack a second. You kind of skipped from Uganda to Perth. Yeah. What? How? What happened in between that inspired that move, or like why did you end up moving over to Perth? So, um, you get so we had an uncle that was already in Australia, mm-hmm. and you can like during like you can have like a sponsor basically, kind of mm-hmm. like to help like a refugee family move to like a better place. Yeah. So my uncle helped my mom and us basically go through the whole process, and it's like paperwork, and then you get interviewed to see if like you fit like the criteria basically, and then they like fly you over so was that at the time when that was all happening did you kind of understand what was going on or not really yeah i did i did understand what was going on but i didn't want to like i didn't want to leave because i i knew my dad was going to be staying yeah and i kind of wanted to stay and be around him and stuff but um yeah um still yeah is that the reality for a lot of kids when they do have to leave they have to leave some of their family over yeah so do you still have contact with your dad or? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. still talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you remember that feeling of like not wanting to go because of leaving your family, like part of your family over there? Yeah. Um, how did you kind of manage that and then moving to a new place? Like you were so young. Yeah. So when it was happening, I still remember vividly like um, the day we left, um, we just like go through the security check and it's just like us going and then my dad like watching from like a glass kind of. Oh my God. So as yeah. a kid just watching that and I knew how hard it was for him to like see us leave. But in that moment he was so like strong and like resilient and like just held it together. Mm-hmm. But like for me, I'm this kid and I'm like basically like shattered. Yeah. And I'm crying. But yeah. um, my mom basically explained like this is um, for the better of the family and like mm-hmm. the, understood like it's a better country, better opportunity for us and better environment for us to grow up in. And when you did move over to Perth and you kind of arrived, like what was like everything's new, everything's different. Like what was that like as like, you know, for you and your family? Yeah, it was it was like a shock Um Cause like growing up in Africa, I never really saw myself as different. Yeah, I was just kind of another person. Yeah. So when I moved to um, Australia, I was year five, and yeah. I'm like you know dealing with like a bunch of like pretty like racism. Yeah. So it's like I'm the only black kid in my class, and like um, I, I remember in year five, everyone would have like the desks, and like someone would be next to me here. Then like another one in front, you know those yeah. desks where you open up and you oh, have yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, like yeah. yeah, and like people would like purposely like move their desks like away from me. I remember one kid dropped like his LCM bar and I like, picked it up for him, helped him to like give it back, and he was like, "I don't want to touch it. This black dude touched my LCM." So it's like I was going through that, but I knew at eight. Yeah. Whoa. Well, at yeah, year five. So yeah. when all this was happening, it was kind of hard to like navigate through it because. Um, knowing what my mom has been through and mm-hmm. where we've been, like what we've been through just to get here. Yeah. Um, I know she did a lot for us to get here and I didn't want it to seem like I was being ungrateful about the situation. Yeah. So it was tough just trying to really navigate all that part, or all of that, like kind of single-handedly. Yeah. yeah. Did you like tell anyone about what was going on for you at school, like that experience for you, or were you just kind of like internalizing it and like, all right, well, here goes the next day? Yeah, um, I just kind of just shrugged it off. Yeah. Um, didn't really let it kind of affect me. As, yeah. Um, but my teacher, Miss Gentelli, I remember her name. Um, uh, she was like, she was like an angel for me. Like, yeah. Just helping me through it, talking to me. Um, just made me really feel kind of loved at that moment, and that's kind of really what I needed. Yeah. So, um, 
Moving forward to like your next kind of stage in school and high school, do you remember when or was there a moment for you where things started to feel like more like it was flowing and you were starting to get your groove in the new space and like you felt like you were being accepted more, that type of thing? Yeah. I th eventually I ended up making friends. Yeah. And then so I went through year five to year seven and kind of knew everybody. So mm -hmm. the transition became kind of smooth from there. But then we had to, I had to move schools again. Mm -hmm. So then I had to restart the whole process over again. Yeah. And then got comfortable at that school and then moved, moved school again. again, you know? Yeah. And then had to do redo the whole process again. So, um, so resilience is something you had to learn at like a really, really young age. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like four kids that are going through something similar to like what you've been through? What would be your word of advice for like the young kids that like no matter what situation they're in, like are experiencing maybe something similar or um, maybe the exact same thing that you went through? What's your, what would you say to them? Um, I would tell them not to suffer alone. Mm -hmm. um, reach out to somebody and talk to somebody, whether it's a family member or whoever it is, just talk to somebody. Just looking back, I'm pretty sure my brothers would have been going through the same thing. But yeah. I could have just spoke to my brother about it and probably helped me kind of yeah. get through it. But at that time, it was kind of hard to to see that perspective because I'm still young. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Whereabouts in Perth where you like- So I went to Mercy College okay. in Perth. Um and then, so I, I grew up, my, my first home was in Girawin. So mm -hmm. we stayed there with my uncle. Mm -hmm. And then once we got a house, we moved to Nolamara in Perth. Okay. But my schools went, I went from Mercy College. Then I went to Peter Moyes. And mm -hmm. then from Peter Moyes, I went to Aranmore. And then from Aranmore, I went to uh, Kingsway Christian. Wow. You really did move around a lot. Hey. Yeah. I'm trying to, I was, I asked because I've recently just moved out to Perth. I play for the Lynx. So yeah. I've. I'm in love with that place. I think it's the coolest place ever and I will never be back in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. It's yeah. so like sunny and nice and yeah. warm. And The beaches are better as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And like not the beaches here where there's like 100 million people there yeah. all the time. Anyway, I digress. Sorry, we'll get back to that. Um, so were, were you still playing other sports like throughout your high school period and then it came to basketball in year 10? Yeah, so I was playing soccer the whole time. Okay. Um, um, I told my mom I wanted to play soccer and like my mom's a yeah. danger. She did everything she could to like help us kind of um, like achieve whatever we yeah. wanted to achieve and she always supported us. So um, I played soccer the whole time. I wasn't the greatest, but <laughs> yeah. It seems like there's a theme in the last couple um, episodes where I've been talking to like successful people. They've always had like a really powerful mum behind them that just like bullies in them and tells them that they can chase their dreams and follow their dreams. Would you say your mum has been a big part in like your life and your success and the way that you, the way you are who you are? 110%. Yeah. I watched my mom get up at 5am every day to go work at a chicken factory and come back at four or five, just tired, mm -hmm. still like every single day, no complaining and go on a Saturday, half days, come back at like two or 12 and just rinse and repeat every single day. And I, I saw how much like it took on her. And even till this day, like she has knee problems from just like standing. Yeah. And, yeah. I just saw that hard work and just like never complaining and kind of, yeah. Once I saw that and it was like no excuses for me. Is that something you want to pass down to like your kids? Like that kind of same, like hard work ethic, that type of thing? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that because I, I, I genuinely like the last couple of episodes that I've had. It's like when I ask people like stories of their success, it always links back to like a parental figure kind of standing behind them, believing in them, that type of thing. Um, on to the next phase of your life. How quickly did it change from you picking up a basketball to being selected in teams, being successful at things or like what? I guess because the way you described your first basketball experience wasn't great. No. Um, how did you develop your love for the game from that? What did that look like for you? I think it honestly took me a while to like develop the love of it because mm -hmm. um, like I just I wasn't good at a lot of things and mm -hmm. a lot of things were very foreign to me when I was um, when I first started playing. But uh, my coach at um, East Perth is where I played. His name is Steve Williams. Mm -hmm. um, when he came and spoke to me and told me that there's potential and he f he thought that um i'd be able to play professionally he would um like after work he would come pick me up and take me to training mm -hmm. drop me back home um take me to games doing everything because he knew it like i couldn't get to training or couldn't, couldn't get to the games if it, yeah. if it wasn't for him so um he's a big part of my development 
And then after this, after my first year playing, we just trained the whole kind of off season together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where like the, the jump happened. And then um, the love came like right after that. Do you remember a time when you were like, oh shit, I'm kind of good at this man. <laughs> like I could actually go somewhere with this or. Um, there's no like ha ha moment. Yeah. Um, but I think over time it just, I'm very confident in, I, I just like in myself mm -hmm. and like, I really believe in myself. So, um, that was a part, that's a part of me that's kind of always been there. Yeah. So even when I wasn't good, I like, I still thought I was, I was the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That self-confidence, self-belief, like where did that come, like where did that come from though? Because like not everyone has that. Even in the professional like world, like I, I don't have great self-confidence. I mean, this is my sixth year in the league. Like I don't, I don't have that. I don't understand. Talk to me. Where does that come from for you? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think it stems from like just like the hard work and mm -hmm. also just knowing like there was no other like option for me here. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, you're going to be like, first it was, you're going to be a professional soccer player. So yeah. I was like, all my eggs are in this basket. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. So after school, I'm going to the park and I'm just yeah. going to kick the ball around as much as I can. And then once, once it shifted to basketball, I was like, this is it. Yeah. Like there was no outs here. There's no like plan B, whatever it is. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, I think you just believed in yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think not having a plan B or whatever it is, or like a backup plan, I knew how hard I needed to, yeah, to, to go. And it's once like I started, laser yeah. focus, kind of, yeah. yeah. But once I started working hard, it was like all the confidence would come from me running the laps that I didn't want to run or the push-ups and whatever. Not on your knees anymore. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, so from playing in high school, how did you go from? high school just starting in year 10 to college hoops yeah so strap in it's about to be a crazy yeah story. that's wild go ahead <laughs> so my second year playing yeah um i played well and then at the end of year 12 i went to um ais tryouts mm -hmm. and i got an AIS, ais scholarship so i get there and i literally have one practice and like my knee swells up mm. so i get like scans and stuff and the doctor i was with ian stacker mm -hmm. and we went to the doctor and the doctor was like you will never ever play basketball again like you're done playing basketball so how old were you i was i was 18 okay yeah so i'm at the ais and i've been told i'm done playing so i come back to melbourne and i'm basically going to like vic uni like mm -hmm. twice a week and i'm just like what is this like yeah. i hated life mm -hmm. And then um, I met Sadell um, at MSAC and he had a physio that he knew. Um, I wish I could remember his name. That's okay. We can put it in later. Yeah. yeah. But he kind of gave me a few options of things I could do. And then he showed me a surgeon to go see. And once I saw the surgeon, he saw the scans and he was like, "It's I can't just write you out at 18 years old. It wouldn't be fair for me to, you know. Say, uh, that say that you're, that you're never going to play basketball yeah. again. Yeah. So we went through the surgery and it it worked. And then I started playing basketball again. And then I literally I had surgery in April. Mm -hmm. um, April 23rd was like three days before my um, my birthday. Mm -hmm. And then that January I got us. I was I was at junior college. Okay, I have questions. What first of all, what was wrong with your knee? Did they tell you or did they, they said I had it? some like uh, wear and tear? Okay. But it was just like... Have you ever gone back to see those people and been like... <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I haven't. But um, I'm really cool with um, Stax. Yeah, like, yeah, Even yeah, to yeah. this day, he'll text me after games and stuff. Yeah. And the first time I saw him um, after I got... Like, after I started playing again, he, he just, like, apologized. And it was just, yeah. like, super sad that I yeah. had to go through that. But, I mean, I don't blame him for it. And it's just kind you of part the of the surgery, story. Yeah. yeah. So... Okay, you kind of brushed from like, oh yeah. yeah. So I started playing and then I went to junior college. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> so I had the surgery yeah. and then I was cleared to start playing again around like November. Mm -hmm. And um, David David Patrick yep. um, was at, uh, came to like a training session at Waverly. Yep. And he was at LSU at the time. And he was like, you can, like, I'm, like I really like you. I feel like you can come to LSU and help. But yep. my grades weren't good enough. So then he put me in touch with uh, my junior college coach okay. at Neosho County. Mm -hmm. So I went to Neosho County with the intention of 
going to LSU. Mm-hmm. And then once I went through the like junior college ranks, I played really well and I got like a bunch of offers and I ended up going to uh, Baylor from there. Okay. All right. That actually makes a little bit more sense from the way you first said it. I was like, how did surgery and now you're at Juco? Like, that's yeah. wild. Yeah. Um, so that's like the, that last like 10 year period of your life. Like that's a lot of like change from place to place to place to place to place. Do you ever feel like, especially when you first got to college, were you like unsettled like with all the change or were you still like laser focused? I know what I'm doing next. Like I know it kind of sounds like you knew you were going for the purpose of to go somewhere else. So was that kind of like how you were feeling? Yeah. Yeah. I knew I wanted to be a professional basketball player and that was kind of the route that I needed to take, but also just going there, like my family helped me so much to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that I wanted to do was get there and like disappoint them. Mm -hmm. So that part of like not disappointing my family was like um, a big kind of driver for me because I didn't want to go there and, and flunk out or yeah. like not play well and not like achieve like the goals that I have for myself. Yeah. yeah. Are you a big goal setter? Is 100%. that? Yeah. 100%. When did you start doing that? I uh, started at a young age. Huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. do you remember someone telling you to do that or you just did that naturally? Um, It might have been like, I think it was my coach that told me just yeah. like write something down and yeah. like um, really try to go for it. So every year now, before every season starts, I write down my goals for the season. And yeah. then I write down my short-term goals for like the next five games. This is what I want. The next, yeah. And then just kind of follows through that way. That's actually like um, like really good advice, I think, for people who struggle to like know what they want to do. The whole goal-setting process is like being able to break it up from like big long-term goals to the short-term goals, the five-game things, that's, like, actually really good knowledge for people to hear because sometimes the idea of, like, oh, what are your goals? It's, like, ah, like that's a massive, like, where do I yeah. go from there? Um, the short-term long thing is actually really great. Anyway, I digress. So do you remember the first challenge that you encountered, like, overseas, like, at college? Like, it, it, does anything stand up, stand out to you? Yeah, so – it was my first time being like alone, alone. So like yeah. when, when we moved to Australia, obviously my family was was there with me. So I was yeah. still able to go to school, come back home and I'd see familiar yeah. faces. But um, it was tough going to junior college and just just kind of being alone. Like yeah. I didn't have my friends with me. I didn't have my family with me. Um, got homesick. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I think, was the first kind of real challenge off bat. And how did you go through that because that's like a very common experience for like especially young athletes that do go the junior college or college route and go from home to being having all their support around them to then being by themselves like what how did you go through it because I'm sure a lot of people would like to know um my coach really helped me Mm -hmm. um I wasn't the first um like um overseas player that he had we had another Australian kid, Jamie Badish was on the team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I was yeah. able to talk to him a little bit, but the coach was really like super hands-on and really helped me do it. Mm-hmm. He knew there was going to be like a tra- like a transition period where, you know, there's going to be some inconsistencies of like performances yeah. because of the off the court um, kind of shock. Cause I went from like a Melbourne summer, yeah, like wearing jeans and a t-shirt to <laughs> yeah. I'm in Kansas and the snow is up to my knees. And no I'm way. Like, yeah. what's happening yeah you know, like, i don't even know it snowed in kansas that's yeah. so much <laughs> yeah yeah i had no idea yeah and kansas isn't like the life of the party when you go to yeah, yeah, um, yeah. america it was just like a small town of like nine thousand people maybe yeah biggest thing we had was like a walmart so it was just like <laughs> yeah walmart's exciting i gotta remember that but like, it's <laughs> like you're going from melbourne yeah. to to yeah. that and it's just like what's happening yeah like, yeah, yeah. No. that's fair so i guess like it seems like there's a theme there that like you do tend to like reach out and lean on other people around you. Would that be something centered around your advice for people going through that? Yeah, for sure. I was on Skypes with my yeah. friends all the time. Mm-hmm. As soon as I was done with practice and they could get on Skype, we were Skyping. Like mm-hmm. I was Skyping my friends all the time. I like that. It is really easy to be isolated in those moments. You know, like the whole first step of actually reaching out to someone else is sometimes the hardest part. And then once you do, it's like, oh, I should have been doing this the whole time. Yeah. Um, moving to your college experience, what was Baylor University like? Um, so it's like, it's like a trend in my life. It's yeah. like once you think like everything's sweet, yeah. like something happened. <laughs> yeah. 
So I was at a practice. Um, we were just practicing. Yeah. And I just kind of felt dizzy and I like passed out and I had to not practice again for a while. And then I went to Minnesota to the Mayo Clinic mm -hmm. and had a bunch of like cardiac tests done. And then I found out that I had um, a heart condition. So then from there, I had to sit out for, I think it was 12 weeks of like oh, yeah. no, no basketball, no physical, like I couldn't work out, couldn't run, nothing. Basically, I couldn't sweat for 12 weeks. How so, did you do that going from like you're a full-time athlete in a college lifestyle and they're like, don't move, do nothing. How was that for you? Yeah, it was it was it was hard. Yeah. Um, but at that time, it was like I had bigger issues than yeah. than like um, basketball. I, yeah, I wanted to make life. sure. Yeah, yeah, life basically. So once I found out about the heart condition, I uh, set out the twelve weeks, and then mm -hmm. I had to redo the test again just to make sure that it wasn't like um, like a change because of exercise. Mm -hmm. So then they found out that it wasn't. And for the condition that I have, it's um it's called HCM. Mm -hmm. It's um basically when the like the wall of your heart is thicker than what like a normal person's yeah, yeah. is and it just doesn't it's not like a smooth like pump yeah. of like blood basically mm -hmm. it's a little bit harder for the heart to like pump the blood out mm -hmm. so once i found that out then it was about like if i needed to get a um what's it called a defibrillator in okay or not yeah, yeah. or whether i was on like the like the lower end of it and they found out I was on a lower end. Thankfully, I didn't have to get a defibrillator. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just from there, I had to redshirt and then ended up playing my two years after that. Okay. So like that, like shock to your system, like that's, you know, you, we've spoken about like the sport and stuff and then that's like your life. Did your, at any point in that time, did your goals change or did you start to doubt the path that you were on? or you were able to stay like on course in your head? Cause for me, I know when I have big life changes, a lot of the time it like rocks, like, what am I doing right now? Am I doing exactly what I should be doing? Am I on the right path? That type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. When it happened, it was, I knew I was going to get through it, mm -hmm. but I didn't know if I was going to be playing basketball again. Okay. And that was the, the uncertainty that was kind of hard for me. Um, I had to sign a waiver to start planning in, which mm -hmm. was like a no brainer for me. I was going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but once they told me like, this is a condition, but you can still play, mm -hmm. you just have to get regular checkups. I was, it was music to my ears, yeah. but the uncertainty of like not knowing whether I was going to play, like it really rocked me. And, yeah. um, good thing was one of my, uh, one of the managers at the time, his name is Drew is like one of my best friends to this mm -hmm. day. Um, me and him just hung out every single day and he kind of helped me like through that process. Yeah. Yeah. And from college like obviously you had a pretty awesome college career in your last two years um and then you went to transition you're in college to your professional career that's the wildest transition for a lot of people what was that like you considering like everything you've set up to this point is just like wild like you've gone for like it, it's just like a lot of like a lot of this ups and downs like you've yeah. been experiencing a lot and now you've gone into your professional career was that again the same type of like turbulence or not really 100 percent. yeah <laughs> it has to be it's a theme it, it's right? just yeah. like a theme yeah. so like um obviously the dream is to play in the nba yeah and my goal at that time was to play in the nba and i had an agent and going through it i was kind of like he was basically like if you get drafted you're gonna get drafted late second round mm -hmm. but you're definitely like can get you we can get you like on like a two this is when the two ways just started yeah he was like we can definitely get you on like a two-way or at least like mm -hmm. get you a training camp deal where you can just go in and like basically beat somebody out for yeah, a contract yeah, yeah. and i was cool with that but uh when i was going through the draft process i had a bunch of workouts kind of set up for me i was yeah. going to do i think about like 15 mm -hmm. so i did my first three um i went to la mm-hmm I had a good workout there. I went to the Spurs. I had the worst workout of my life. And then I went to Atlanta and I had like one of the best workouts. Mm -hmm. So then I'm starting to kind of get my feet. Like, you know, I'm starting to understand like how the workouts go and I'm starting to feel good. And then I I got invited to like this, like um, basically like a combine for like overseas players in mm -hmm. 
in Italy, like Trevisio or something like that. That's so random, but yeah. Yeah, but okay. my agent was like, yeah, I signed you up. Not, and you're uh, like, and all right, cool, like, guys. I signed you up not thinking that they would even invite you. It was just yeah. like, yeah, you're from Australia, might as well. Yeah. And he was like, there's a lot of like scouts there. And like, if you do well, like there's a good chance for you to like actually like do something yeah. here. So they asked for like my medical records. I put them all yeah. in and then like I submit it. And like two hours later, my agent calls me and he was like, like they've shut you down. The NBA has shut you down. Like you're not allowed to work out for any more teams. And they don't even know. Because of your heart. Because condition. of my heart. And, and they're like, they don't even know if you'll be able to even like play in the NBA at all. You so, can't be the only person in the NBA that has that heart condition or they just don't disclose it. I don't know. But at that time I was just like, what is happening? Yeah. So then three workouts early in the in the work in that draft process yeah. and then nothing i didn't get to summer league didn't do anything and then while summer league was happening he called me and said that it was a team in israel that was um super interested in mm -hmm. me going over there to play so i was like yeah cool i'll go play in israel yeah. like yeah I, I, but you did end up doing summer league for phoenix so that year yeah. i went i literally got cleared two days before like we started the camp well, well what do you mean like what, what like so, what <laughs> yeah so it's, it's it's a crazy story um so if you want to jump to it we won a championship yeah. at melbourne united yeah, yeah, yeah. and then i got invited to go to phoenix right yeah this was the first time i went to phoenix they um they knew about my heart issue going into it yeah. My agent knew, everyone knew. So when, once I got there, the same thing happened. They were like, you're not playing summer league. Like, you're not cleared. And like, mind you, like- Why bring you over there? Exactly. And mind <laughs> you, like, I'm going through like cardiac testing. Yeah. And like, I don't know if you guys have ever even heard of like a like a cardiac MRI. Like, you're literally in MRI with like IVs pumping in you and everything. Jewish. Yeah. And I'm literally in there for like three hours. Like- It's a lot. It's like yeah. three, four hours and just like, to be still in a in an MRI, so I'm doing all these tests, and then they were like, "Nah, you can't, um, you can't play summer league." So then they were like, "You have to go through like a, um, I guess like a panel, okay. like fitness to play panel." So once I got back, the panel started. Yeah, I played my second like my 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 year at united yeah and the panel was going on through the year so through the year i had to do like tests and like send oh them so through. it's like a long process it's a thing. long process okay yeah. when you said panel i thought just like a couple of days no, no that went on throughout a year yeah well maybe even more yeah so like i'm going through like um cardiac testing mm -hmm. and i'm getting all my reports from college and i'm sending them through just like digging up a whole bunch of information yeah. and then i got to um phoenix and the like two days before we're about to start training camp for summer league you got clear i got on zoom and they were like yeah you can you can play again whoa what the hell man yeah do, I, do you ever get to a point like or do you ever feel like you see your goal and it just keeps moving away from you like in that time did it feel like you're like why do i feel like i'm just getting punched down from the universe or were you like bring them punches you know what i'm saying like when it happened, um, the when I went to Phoenix the yeah. first time and it happened, I was like, cool, like I'm going to go back to United. I'm going to kill this season mm -hmm. and then we'll go from there. So then once I got cleared, I was I was kind of I was happy, mm -hmm. but it was like so much uncertainty going into it that yeah. like I just felt like I didn't like it just it was a shit show. Basically, yeah, once I started yeah. playing, it was just so much that was happening before that that I was just wasn't like me when i actually got on the court but i definitely did feel at some yeah. point like what the fuck the target's moving yeah like the target was moving like you kind of saw it there and you you go to like reach for it and it just kept yeah kind of bouncing around yeah how do you then go from like you're playing in this environment with all of these odds kind of stacked up against you to then try and put your best foot forward on the basketball court with all of this stuff happening in the background how the hell did you do that I, yeah, I mean, I don't, and that's the thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't end up even playing that well. Yeah. At, um, some of the, it didn't start off, it didn't start off great. And mm -hmm. it didn't, it was just, yeah. I feel like I was there, but I wasn't there. Yeah. yeah if that makes sense. Was, were you going through stuff off the court mentally, like at the same time? Um, no, it was just like, I felt like it was just like a bad omen on me for some yeah, reason. You know, yeah, like yeah. trying to go through all of that and then like, 
not making excuses, but I was yeah. I kind of was like super sick going into yeah. it as well. And then once I got there, it was just like trying to recover mm-hmm. basically. And I was already there, so I was like, I didn't know how much more like if I'll ever get that opportunity again. Yeah. So I was like, I'm gonna take it. But yeah, for sure. It wasn't like the best me. Yeah, I, I mean that happens a lot of the time throughout our careers. We don't kind of put forward the best version yeah. of ourselves all the time. Yeah. Do you think that if you like looking back on it, what would current you give advice to like younger you about to embark on that journey, like of trying to get into the summer league, like the, into the NBA? Like, let's actually say, what would you now say to yourself coming out of college? Um, what I would say was I wouldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. I would, um, I don't think there's anything I really would say. Cause I think a lot of it like really shaped me yeah. and like, I've been through so much adversity in my life that mm-hmm. like sports adversity wasn't real to me. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like for sure. we had to like survive to live. Mm-hmm. That's like real life problems. Mm-hmm. Like whether or not I was going to play basketball is not real life for me. Like yeah. I could always go. Like get a job and still yeah. like figure life out. Mm-hmm. So I always like found like a silver lining and everything. Like when they told me I couldn't go to the NBA and my agent called me and said, you go to Europe and you make this much. I was like, how many people where I come from make this much? Yeah, You know what I mean? Like that was my silver lining. So wherever hap- like whatever happened, I always kind of searched for that yeah. silver lining to like help me understand why it's happening or help me get through whatever I'm, I'm going through. I like that. That's really cool. I like the silver lining. That's actually one of my favorite movies, The Silver Lining Playbook. You ever seen that? It's a good movie. Anyway, um, <laughs> I move on. Um, so going like into your next phase of your career, like I mean, I'm 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 sure that everyone listening knows about you at Melbourne United and the success that you've had here and the success that you've had in the NBL and that you continue to have. What is your goals on and off the court for the next kind of foreseeable future, I guess? Mm. off the court I just want to be like I just want to really like continue to grow Mm -hmm. and really understand me as a person Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm still kind of learning me as I'm going Mm -hmm. Um, and just like being very just admitting to myself when like things are too much and having a way to deal with things when when it's too much I guess basically like reaching out and understanding myself because I kind of take things in stride and I try to kind of carry every kind of load, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So just understanding like it's not really healthy to continue to just shelve things and having an outlet for those things. Yeah. Um, That's been um, my biggest growth area, I feel like, on the court, off the court. Yeah. And on the court, I've detached myself from a lot of my, like the external stuff. Yeah. It's like, I want to make the NBA. I want to make the NBA. Yeah. Now for me, it's just like, I just want to, I just want to, like, I've always loved hooping and mm. just being present has been my biggest thing on the court. Good game, bad game, whatever it is, I'm just being present. And if it's a bad game, just kind of sitting in that uncomfortability of like a bad game and like mm-hmm. embracing that part of it. Cause that is professional sports, right? Like yeah. having to ride the wave, kind of be in it. Yeah. I like the embracing the uncomfortability. That's really cool. That's a cool way to look at it. Cause being uncomfortable is not easy. And a lot of the time we kind of try and find every possible way we can to like not be uncomfortable. Like we search for the comfortable, right? Yeah. Since you started like embracing that mindset of like sitting in the uncomfortable, what do you think the biggest growth area for you has been? Um, It's riding, like I really used to ride the lows Mm -hmm. and like the highs. And now I just feel like I'm like, you're in Super the middle. steady. Yeah. 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 And it's really like helped me with that. And just understanding like regardless of what happens, it might sound corny, but like I'm enough. So it's yeah. like it is what it is. Like, yeah, I miss some shots. I'm still me. And we're, like what I present is enough. Like, mm-hmm. And if people don't value it, then those are not the people that I need to be around. So. Yeah. I need that answer like in a constant replay in my ear, like 90% of the time, just being enough and believing that you are enough. I think especially in the field of professional sports that we're in, we're always comparing each other to like other people. And like, it's hard not to when everybody else is always comparing you to the the other five men or like the other person in your position, knowing that your worth is enough as you and not constantly trying to like size up next to someone else. Like Mm -hmm. that's really, really hard to do. Do you think that 
um, that would be your biggest biggest advice to younger athletes aspiring to be where you are today? Yeah, 100%. I think we live we live a very what have you done for me lately industry mm-hmm. and very results driven kind of industry to where like you can start to feel like your value is in the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once you get to that point, that's when it gets really dark. Like, because mm-hmm. then you're putting so much pressure on like the game of like, if I score 20, I know everybody's going to be happy and I'm going to like feel good. Yeah. But then if I don't score that, then you kind of feel like, Oh, like I let everyone down and Mm -hmm. like I had a bad game. So like now they're looking at me like this. It's just like a lot of insecurities that come with that. Yeah. So just understanding that like your value is not in those numbers and your value is in like you as a person and what you bring to the table. Like that's, um, that's huge. Mm. That love that. Um, okay. I want to get into the rapid fire by Reebok fan questions. Sounds cool. Usually when I have the headphones on and I like it, I've, the sound of my voice saying that bit sounds way cooler. I'm like, rapid fire by me. We're going to like echoes a little bit. feel way cooler. But anyway, I digress. Um, let's start with who are your mentors that you turn to for support currently? Um, I feel like I have mentors in different fields. Yeah. So like when I'm going through stuff in life, um, I always talk to my, my parents and my older brother. Um, when it comes to basketball, it's more um, – like my coach from under 18s that helped mm-hmm. me, Steve Williams, um, call him. Or um, I'll talk to some of my friends that have played. And, yeah, I kind of use those guys to kind of level me out if I'm going through something. Do you mentor other people in your life, do you think? Or would you be open to being that for other people? Yeah, I feel like I'm a, I've, I've come out on record a, a lot of times and I'm very easy to find. So mm-hmm. I, I want to be like a good role model for the next generation and mm-hmm. whoever needs whatever they need, just I'm easy to find. Um, <laughs> this is a bit of a random one. What is your pregame snack or meal of choice? PB&J. PB&J? Yeah. Has to be two hours before the game. Like that? <laughs> to the to, hour? Has to be. And I have to make it myself. Okay. I mean, you, can you even buy a PB&J from anywhere? Oh, that's American, I guess. You can get that from, like, the gas station. Yeah, but, but like. I have to make it myself. Okay. Yeah. That's the only answer to that question that we ever need. Um, how important is the mental side of the game to you? Oh, it's everything. Yeah. Like, people, you hear the quote, and yeah. it's like um, 10% physical and 90% mental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's super important. Do you – like do the work on your mental game yourself or do you have someone else help you do it? Like do you have a like sports psychologist or these are things that you've kind of acquired the knowledge over the time of your career? Yeah, I have a sports psychologist that I talk to, but also it's um, – how do I put this? I I still like – before I even saw them, I would still like meditate and mm-hmm. visualize um, kind of like the law of attraction stuff. Really. Yeah. Like, um, like I'm really into that. Yeah. So visualizing, meditating, kind of seeing things before they happen, kind of so to speak, like I always used to do that before I even saw the psych. Who taught you how to do that? And where, at what point did you get into that? Because that is like, that is so cool. That Like the whole meditation thing, I'm trying really hard to start at the moment. It was one of my New Year's resolutions because mm-hmm. I tend to like try and focus on one thing and my brain's like, Ooh, like it just doesn't. How did you start doing that? Uh, it's I started during um, COVID mm-hmm. and I, when we... Everyone's just like stuck in the house <laughs> yeah. and you never really get like that, like a long time yeah. to kind of, you know, be to yourself. So once, um, yeah, when COVID happened, I, I'd get like 10 minute blocks to myself yeah. where I would just kind of go and meditate and visualize things and set goals for myself mm-hmm. short term or long term. The Do you have any like favorite books or people in those spaces that you could recommend to other people, like podcasts, whatever it is? Um, so actually, I didn't even do any of that. Like really? for me, it was just me. Like I'd literally like Google like meditation music. Yeah. And then I would sit and just like huh. basically like try to vis- like just yeah, visualize yeah, yeah. things and and kind of let my mind be still. Yeah. And it got it like started from a point where I would like I couldn't go for like three minutes yeah and then eventually i went for like from like three to five and yeah. then five to ten and then ten to fifteen now and then over time your, it's yeah. just like a part of like what i do yeah yeah okay that's cool that's really cool um just a few more uh this one says who is your favorite center to go up against and play against in the league all of them all of them yeah. you couldn't pinpoint one the smoke is free yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, okay, good answer. Um, and then how do you feel about being in the MVP best center in the league conversation? Like I said, like with all of that, it's like it's so um it's so external and irrelevant yeah. to me. Like the biggest thing for me is like the group and what our goal is. Yeah. And if it's trending that way, then it's trending that way. But I've never um kind of like really paid attention yeah. to that. And I think performances like speak for themselves. Yeah. Like yeah. I like that. Okay, the last thing I'm gonna ask is how do you think people see you and perceive you versus who you actually are and is there a separation between the two yeah 100 percent. yeah i think if you met if like you see me on the court i'm very like fiery like mm -hmm. you don't see me smiling like mm -hmm. um like i basically like yeah i'm i want to like take your head off yeah like if i'm playing against you yeah like, with that aggression mm -hmm. um i'm very on edge in the game very aggressive very direct it's just that's just me on the court but off the court i'm the complete opposite yeah. like, um i i don't like to socialize too much yeah. especially with people that i don't know yeah um um if i'm in a room you probably wouldn't know i'm there like, yeah um i like to just kind of be at home sit on sit on my couch I have my spot on the couch yeah like i just it's molded to you basically <laughs> for real so it's like i'm like i just kind of like i really like being like out of the way mm -hmm. like away from like everything just being in my own little world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that there'll be a point in time where you are perceived for exactly who you are or you don't think that that's something that matters to you? No, nah, I couldn't care less. Yeah. No, nah, like, no, nah, no. Nah. Separation there. Yeah, I like the separation. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, I like that. Okay, well, that kind of wraps up everything for us. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I think that it's, I, I don't even want to call it a story because that kind of, uh, makes it sound like it's finished you know it's kind of just the start of where you're gonna go and it's really exciting I can't wait for people to hear like not just like what where you've come from but like your mindset is really different to like a lot of people that I talk to and like your the way you answered some of those questions like we're gonna clip up and put on a t-shirt like that's it's really dope like I think that um the way that you see the world is really different and it's really cool and that's why I'm excited for people to listen to this and why like I almost jumped out of my seat when he told me that you were gonna come on I was like yes um so I really appreciate you coming on and I am really excited for people to listen to this and um i'm excited to watch you kind of succeed and i mean whatever that is to you the being in the present these conversations are really important to me because i struggle with the not being in the now side of things um so i also can't wait to listen this back but um we appreciate you that was under the surface with your host Emily maley pumped by reebok and we were here with jla thank you guys it was great <laughs>